Well, hello, everybody. You doing well? Michigan has finally figured out it's summer. And this is a good thing. Would you agree? The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. Y'all are back in church, and I missed you, some of you, the first time. Welcome to you, and especially uh, those of you joining us online from wherever you happen to be. It's great to have you along for the ride as well. Uh, now, as many of you know, we're in the fifth week of a series we've called The Storyteller, uh, in which we're exploring 10 of the most famous stories ever told. Uh, and we're looking at them one at a time. And as we've also said, uh, these stories are famous not only because of their content, which is brilliant, but also because it was Jesus who told them. In fact, when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you start to notice Jesus often leveraged stories in order to teach his audience how to think about God, as well as what it means to live in relationship with God right here and right now in the midst of this life. And, and that's why this content is so incredibly helpful. Now, it's worth noting that many of Jesus' stories, and the Bible nerds like me call them parables, uh, begin with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. In other words, Jesus says, the story I'm about to tell you is like a window that you can look through to see the way things should be if they were the way God wanted them to be. If you were living in a land where his kingdom had come and his will was being done here on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so that said, with our time today, we get to unpack what just might be the most challenging of Jesus' parables. And I say that not because it's particularly difficult to understand, but rather because it's, it's sort of difficult to apply. And you'll see what I mean in just a few minutes. Uh, Bible nerds call it the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so kind of here's the setup. Uh, one day during his season with his disciples, Jesus has a significant conversation with them. And, and especially paying attention is Jesus' disciple, Peter, who we believe was sort of the oldest disciple. He was definitely the most impulsive disciple, and he was sort of the de facto leader of the disciples. Uh, and Jesus has been teaching his followers what to do when someone wrongs them or hurts them. And he knows that's going to happen a lot, especially after he hands them the church. And so Peter needs to clarify something, and I think they were all thinking it, um, but apparently Peter was in some sort of relationship with an individual who had wronged him over and over and over again. And I got to ask you, um, have you ever experienced something like that? And if the person sitting next to you, please don't nudge them. It's awkward, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in my work as a pastor, if that's any indication, it seems to be a fairly common human experience. Someone in our inner circle just bumps us over and over and over again. And so Peter looks at Jesus and he says, listen, um, I'm wondering, is there any limit to the grace that we're supposed to show someone? I mean, you've taught that we need to forgive, but like how many times do we need to forgive? And so Peter asked it this way. He said, Lord, speaking to Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then he just throws something out there, up to seven Times. And I think, you know, the seven is significant to the Jews. Seven is the number of completion or the number of perfection. And, and so maybe, you know, seven times. I'll tee it up for you, Jesus. Yeah, say seven and then eight, send them on their way. But yeah, it's interesting. But if you think about it, in asking this question, Peter actually reveals that he has a bit of confusion about the nature of forgiveness. 
And here's the thing. I'm convinced that a whole bunch of us have suffered from the same confusion. Maybe even you're with us today and you're going to learn something that you've never learned before about, about forgiveness. And here's, here's what I mean. Peter's assumption was that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. In other words, when Peter uh, forgave someone who hurt him, he thought he was doing something that would help them. He believed that he was uh, to forgive someone is to do them a favor. And, and if we're honest, that sort of thinking does come naturally to all of us. And I think I know why. When, when someone hurts us, we immediately get the sense that they owe us something. It's like they've taken something from us and they've created a sort of debt in our relationship with them. And that's actually why we say things like, they owe me an apology. Uh, It's as if, you know, they're the offender and we're the victim and now they are in debt to us. And maybe for us it happened at work and now honestly, you know, we're going to walk in tomorrow morning and we're going to feel like, you know, our boss, uh, he owes us some recognition because he took some recognition that really belonged to us. He did wrong to us. Or maybe it happened at home. Maybe you'd say, you know, I feel like my wife owes me respect. Or maybe, you know, you had a friend who spread gossip about you and you feel like now they owe you like a restored reputation, but you're not even sure how that would work. Anyway, whenever you're wronged, whenever I'm wronged, it's natural for us to get angry, to get upset with the person who hurt us. And kind of without realizing it, we plan to remain upset or angry until we're paid back whatever it is that we're owed. And, and so, you know, even subconsciously, we hold on to it. You know, we were wrong. There's this debt. We're going to hold it right in the middle of our heart, right at the center of our being. And we stew over it. And we begin to refine our case against the person who hurt us. And maybe even, you know, subconsciously we're waiting for that person who owes us to come to us. And maybe, you know, in our, in our, in our minds we imagine them coming on their knees sort of begging for forgiveness and, and wanting to, to pay us back what they owe. Honestly, you know, in situations like this, we feel justified into holding on to our anger, don't we? Because, well, we were the victim in this whole thing. We were just minding our own business and, and someone came along and slashed us emotionally. And, and, and so whenever the memories of these events like surface, we get upset. We get angry. I think there's even a little bit more, though. I mean, I've been a church person for a long time, and maybe, you know, you, you've never done this yourself, but you've had friends that have done this, right? Um, it, but maybe, like, you know, you, you're around someone, and they love to talk about the wrong that was done to them. Like, they're in a small group with some people from church, and somebody says, hey, does anybody have any prayer requests? You get the one guy that's like, yeah, my cat is having surgery. You're like, that's either terrible or wonderful if you're a cat person or not, right? And then somebody goes like really deep, right? And, and, it, and it's okay, that's, that's okay, that's what groups are for. But somebody goes really deep and they start to unpack how they were wronged by this individual and how they feel like now they're in debt with this individual. And after like 20, 25 minutes of them processing, everybody in the group is like, they're on the side of the person who was hurt. And they say things like, man, I cannot believe that he did that to you, right? It's so unfair, and, and so the person like walks out of the group or, you know, hypothetically, if it's you, you walk out of the group and you feel kind of justified. And then if you have like your Jesus-y friend who comes alongside of you and has the audacity to say that you need to forgive the person who hurt you, we think, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, they don't deserve it. I told you what they did. And I'm just an innocent victim in this whole thing. I mean, why should I do them the favor of forgiving them? I don't owe them that. 
They, I don't owe them anything. They owe me. And I say all that to say that, that as I imagine that that's the emotional space in which we find Peter during the lead up to the parable of the unmerciful servant. I mean, you know, as I think it, he's been diligent in repeatedly forgiving someone who has repeatedly hurt him. And now he's feeling like, well, like they don't deserve to be forgiven anymore. And so he asked Jesus, here it is again, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven? I mean, that's pretty gracious. And check out Jesus' response. He said, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You know, we read that 2,000 years later and we're like, sweet. So 78, they're out. That's what I'm seeing here, right? Yeah. And if that's what you're thinking, because you've been tracking, you have a journal with this person, right? Here's the thing. 77 is a very Jewish way of saying endlessly. There is no limit to the number of times you are to forgive someone who wrongs you. And, and before Peter can ask a clarifying question like, Jesus, dude, seriously, Jesus just unleashes this parable. And here's, here's how he begins it. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, so there it is again. You want to see how things look from God's perspective. You want to know what it means to live in relationship with God right here, right now, in the middle of this life. Here's what it looks like. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So apparently, the, the, you know, there's some debt going on. And so the day comes and the king begins to line these people up. He says that as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And we go, hmm, that's, yeah, that, that sounds like a lot. 10,000 is a lot. Well, that's not the half of it. As we've noted in this series, Jesus, as he's telling the parables, he often exaggerates to make certain um, that his point comes across. And in this case, the amount of the debt that Jesus says that this guy has is completely ridiculous. Seriously, in Jesus' day, it would take an average worker 20 years to earn one talent. So 10,000 talents would take a day laborer 200,000 years. You see what I'm getting at here, right? Uh, and I did some math on my calculator this week, which is on my phone. It's not really a calculator. If you're a millennial, there used to be a separate thing called a calculator that we could use. And now it's just an app on your phone like everything else. There were flashlights and other things too, but I'm going off track now. Okay, anyway, did a little math, you know, and with inflation and all that's going on, let's say you make $15 an hour. If you make $15 an hour, this, your debt equivalent here, if it was 10,000 talents, would be $8.8 billion dollars. So Jesus is saying, like, there is no way that this debt ever could be repaid. And actually, Jesus says as much as he continues. Here's what he says next. This is awesome. He says to his people listening, since he was not able to pay, and they're like, yeah, obviously, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And now, I, I'm aware that to us, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, this seems incredibly cruel. But you should know that in the first century, family members were often sold in order to repay debt. That was part of the Roman culture. But that said, it's worth noting that in this case, even selling family members wouldn't help all that much, right? I mean, $8.8 .8 billion, if we're going to use that as a, as a frame of reference. I mean, I think my kids are priceless <laughs> to me, Right? But I'm pretty sure that my credit card company would see them more as a liability than an asset. Like, wait, they want to eat? you got to be kidding me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, the servant panics, not surprisingly. He's about to lose everything. And he pleads for mercy. And Jesus described it this way. 
He says, the servant fell on his knees before him. He says, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back, which is a lie, right? Let's just be honest. As we've already said, this debt was so ginormous, that's bigger than enormous, ginormous, that more time was not going to help him pay it off. So, so you got to wonder, like, okay, what's the king in the story going to do? And as Jesus continues, we learn that he does something well, he did something that, that nobody was expecting. Here's what he says. Jesus says, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And just so we're clear, the king doesn't say, you know what, you only have to repay part of the debt. He says, you don't owe me anything at all anymore. Okay, so before we go any further, we need to ask a really important question, and it goes like this. Why does the king cancel the debt? Because I think that question is key to understanding what Jesus is trying to say in this parable. Because while we know he doesn't cancel the debt because of what the servant says, the servant lies. So there must be another reason. And I suspect that this, this story that Jesus tells, uh, he wants his audience to see something about the heart of the king in the story, because the king in the story represents God, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then you have a king. So that's, that's God. So Jesus essentially teaches that if people are going to get out of the massive debt that their sin has created with God, then it's going to be his grace and not our efforts that get us there. Because whether we realize it or not, we have a debt with God that is so massive, so ginormous, once again, using the word twice, right, that, that we can never repay it. It's, it would be insane to even try. And so Jesus is like introducing this concept to the world. And this is the message of Jesus that went out into the ancient world. It was the central message of Christianity. And honestly, it's what makes Christianity different than every other religious system out there. All the other religious systems are telling you what to do to get right with God. Jesus says, this isn't about what you do. This is about what I did. This is about grace. This is about mercy. This is about the fact that God loves you because he is good, not because you are good. Anyway, so Jesus' original audience is listening to the story. And, and you know, they would have been certain that at this point, this recently forgiven servant would be on top of the world. I mean, it's as if he's just won like a million dollar prize 8,800 times in a row. You'd be in a good mood, right? Yeah, so like you're like, surely this guy's exploding with gratitude. There's probably no even reason to go on with the story, but Jesus keeps talking and he tells us what comes next. Here's what he says. He says, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay. So he had a guy that owed him something too. A hundred denarii is something like a hundred days labor. So if you're $15 an hour, maybe like $12,000. So a large debt, but certainly a repayable debt. And you got to wonder, how is this guy going to treat his fellow servant? I mean, this is our first chance to see him as a man who's been freed from an unrepayable debt. Like what happens inside someone when something like that happens? And Jesus describes the encounter. He says this, he grabbed him, like, uh-oh, and began to choke him. Uh-oh. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And oh, wait, it gets better because he goes on. He says, his fellow servant fell to his knees. We've just seen this before. Oh yeah, it's the same thing he did to the king. Fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. That's like the same words he used. Now again, it's, it's the exact same 
thing he just said to the king after falling on his knees. But the response to the request could not have been more different, Jesus says. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, I'm no expert on like first century correctional systems and how they worked, but, but this does not seem to me to be a very good plan. I mean, how quickly can you repay a debt in prison? Nonetheless, that's what Jesus said this guy did. And just imagine with me the first audience, Jesus' disciples and maybe some others that have gathered to listen. And as they're listening, they're going, oh, I don't like this guy, Right? I mean, how dare he, he who was forgiven so much, do this to someone else? I mean, his debt was unrepayable. This guy's debt's payable. What's this guy doing? I mean, nobody likes this guy, and neither do the other servants in the story Jesus is telling. He goes on to say this. He says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then, he says, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. Oh, this isn't looking good, right? He said, I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. You asked me to. And then this line, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then he goes on. He says, you know, in his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. You're like, ooh. I was with you so far, Jesus. What's going on here? You know, until he should pay back all that he owed. And, and, and Jesus exits the story and looks directly into the eyes of his audience and drops this piece of wisdom. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And then Jesus drops the mic. <laughs> and Peter is sorry that he brought it up, (laughs) right? But he understands. Jesus taught that God had forgiven Peter of a debt that he could never repay. He has been shown amazing grace. And apparently in response to that reality, he needs to become a person of grace. Someone who endlessly forgives the people who wrong him. And I'm confident Peter and the disciples, they got that message. But Peter's probably thinking what you or I would be thinking. Because when you move this from like an abstract to like the person who actually hurt you, you want to say something like, okay, time out. But that's not fair. I mean, I've already been injured. I'm the victim in all this. And now Jesus is saying that if I don't forgive, like God's coming after me, how in the world is that okay? And if you just had that thought, again, for you, if, if it's a concept today, you're probably like mooing, like, mm, right? But if, there's a, if you've got someone in your life right now, and, and this is a real reality, and when you close your eyes, if I say, who do you need to forgive? And you've got a picture immediately there, and you've maybe carried that picture for decades. It's like, you're probably saying what Peter would be saying. Like, how is that even possible, Jesus? It's just not fair. And if you've had that thought, let me take a minute and explain what I really think is going on in this parable, because whatever it is, Jesus teaches that an essential part of a life lived with God includes becoming a person of grace in this life. So here's, here's what I suspect Jesus is saying. Uh, first, if you read between the lines of this parable, you see that Jesus suggests that forgiveness is primarily for your benefit. 
Forgiveness is primarily for your benefit and not primarily for the benefit of the person who hurt you. Seriously. And, and based on my experience as a pastor, I think, I think that's right. And here's why. Whenever you refuse to forgive someone, without realizing it, you've taken on the identity of a victim. And in taking on the identity of a victim, you've, on realizing that you have entered a trap that will negatively impact your future. And I think that's why Jesus essentially threatens his followers in order to motivate them to forgive the people who hurt them. He knows that to refuse to forgive someone who hurt us will hurt us. I mean, like in the story, it's like torture. Because holding on to anger and bitterness deep inside, right at your core, is toxic to your soul. And to refuse to cancel a debt that someone else owes you is to chain yourself to that hurt and to drag it into your future relationships. And if you think about it, you've probably seen friends do this. This is really easy to see in others. It's not always easy to see in ourselves. And so as unrealistic and insensitive and ridiculous as it may seem, your heavenly father who knows you and he loves you he says to you in no uncertain terms and in a very threatening sort of way, you must forgive the people who hurt you because if you don't, it will mess with your future. I actually used to see this all the time. Uh, before coming to Keystone, I spent 15 years as a pastor working with students, with young people. And you know, during that time, I had a lot of conversations with angry teenagers. Like when people reached out to the youth pastor to have coffee, it generally wasn't to say, man, I love that series that you're doing right now. It is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I'm having all my friends podcast. That's not generally how it goes, right? We sit down and they sit down and they have a frappuccino and I have a black coffee and they kind of groan. And they look across the table and they tell me that they've been heard by mom, and what she did, or my dad, and what he didn't do. And as they're unpacking it, and, and they're sharing, and that's a healthy first step, it's like what they don't understand is, is how critical it is for them to forgive. And we would, we would talk about this. It's, and if they didn't believe me, what would happen is, is often they would internalize that anger, internalize that hurt, and their lives would, would begin to slowly self-destruct as a result. They'd make choices in that anger that they would never have made from a place of health. And their lives would become incredibly complicated. Well, that's teenagers. Of course, I've also seen this when talking to couples that are struggling in their relationship. And without realizing it, like, they've carried anger and hurt from their past into their present. It's, I mean, she's not really mad at him he just got in the way of her anger towards someone else. Or, or she got in the way of his anger towards someone else. And, and so like the anger from the past is destroying their present and complicating their future. And not, not to be fair, if you heard their stories, you'd realize that they have every reason to be angry. They really do. But, but here's the thing. As they hold on to that anger, often with a death grip, it's wrecking their lives and it's wrecking their marriage. That's why this, this victim thing, it's a trap. And Jesus knows that. 
And so through a parable, he says, listen, I understand that you've been hurt. I understand your pain. It's fair. But listen, I love you. You've got to forgive or it's going to mess with your life. Now, as I was thinking about this week, do you know why else Jesus had the audacity to say what he said to Peter and the disciples that day? Well, see, he knew something that they didn't know at the time, but he knew in the near future he would be hanging on a cross. And he knew that when he died, all of us, all of us who claim to follow Jesus would lose our right to refuse to forgive others. I mean, think about it. When Jesus died for you, God already knew all about you. He knew about all the times that you'd make promises to him that you wouldn't keep. He knew about all the seasons in your life where you'd completely ignore his resistance or his existence. I mean, he knew exactly what you'd be like and he decided to forgive you anyway. In fact, he sent his one and only son to die for you. And anyone who would do that is for you. You don't ever have to wonder. And so from our vantage point in history, it is in the shadow of the cross that we're commanded to forgive one another. And in the shadow of the cross, impossible forgiveness becomes possible. And you're in a room with people who would easily agree with that statement because they've experienced it themselves. It really really does. No matter how deep the pain goes and no matter how long it's gone on. Because at the cross, we lost our right to refuse to forgive. And so Jesus says, I want you to take the same mercy you've been shown by your heavenly father and I want you to show it to people who hurt you, not because they deserve it. They don't deserve it. Mercy isn't giving people what they deserve. It's actually giving people what they don't deserve. But you need to do this because in receiving God's grace, you've stepped out of the natural relational economy of this world where you do whatever it takes to be repaid, whatever it is you're owed, and you've stepped into the relational economy of the kingdom of God, and it's a radically different thing, and it's not a two kingdoms you can straddle. You've been given what you don't deserve, and, you, and your debt with God has been canceled, and God has poured out mercy on you. And now he invites you, he compels you to pour out that kind of mercy on those who hurt you. And we want to object. I want to object. I want to say, but you don't know what they've done. God, you don't understand. And God would look back down and say, yes, I do. And here's the thing. I know what you've done too. I know when you've been sleeping and I know when you're awake. No, 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 no. You see, I, if I'm honest about me, I kind of want it both ways. I want, um, I, I don't just want mercy. I want mercy and justice. I want mercy for me and justice for everybody else who hurts me. But that's not how it works in the economy of the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, this is how it goes. This is this, is this invitation to step out of one economy and into another. And that's why I think God says to us in no uncertain terms, I've shown mercy to you. I've made the first move. And so now, you must learn to show mercy to others. And, and again, to miss that connection 
is a bit like entering a season where you're being tortured by your past, which is, I think, why the image of torture shows up in Jesus' parable. Because you'll remain in the victim trap. I guess if I was to boil it all down, our, our big idea today is, is kind of a synopsis of everything we've said. It's forgiven people are to be forgiving people. And again, God went first. He forgave us. But forgiven people are to be forgiving people. And we must do it not just for the sake of whoever offended us, but for our sake as well. Because anger and resentment will slowly destroy our life and our relationships. And forgiveness allows us to cut the chains of the past and to escape from the victim trap. And your heavenly father knows this so well. He says in no uncertain terms, you must forgive because in forgiving, you'll be free. And friends, that's the message of the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now, if you're here in the room, I'd love to invite you to stand and I'll close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we gather this morning because 2,000 years ago you sent your son to deliver a message of hope, a message of light in a world that is so often dark. And I appreciate the fact that though this teaching is fairly easy to understand, it is so, so challenging to apply. Something in us wants to scream, this is too much, this is too hard. But I pray that for those of us that, that carried active hurt into this room, something about hearing the words of your son would reignite a passion to pursue forgiveness, that they might wander after Jesus into the mystery of grace and they might experience the freedom on the other side. Thank you that you went first. Thank you for showing us the way. And thank you for loving us even in those moments when we are so profoundly unlovable. Uh, it is in the grace of Jesus that we stand before you today. And it is in his name that we pray. Everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. We'll see you back next week.